How you doing today? So good. <laughs> so <about> good. <laughs> <laughs> it's early. It's Friday. So that's that's a that's a bonus. Yep. But yeah, yeah. The news keeps coming fast and hard. Oh yeah, crazy stuff lately. Anything jump out? Uh, a couple things. Let's talk about the Tucker interview first. I didn't, is it out? I didn't it's see out. it. It's out. Oh, I didn't see so it. So let's yet. talk about it from a high-level perspective. We don't even have to talk about the content yeah. of it. Yeah, just the, the, I- fact the idea of free flow of information. It happened. Some or people are mad. And some, some people, people thinking disinformation. Right, right. What's your? Yeah. Give me your take on should this have happened? Obviously, yes. Yeah. Uh, but why? Yeah, well, my take is, um, you know, one side would say free flow of disinformation. He's a propaganda tool for an evil madman. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, I fall on a more conservative side and I think, but if it was a Democrat, I would still support it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the principle. Although, you know, uh, I remember being young and I wasn't alive at the time or I wasn't old enough to be thinking about, but Jane Fonda going to, uh, uh, Vietnam and basically aiding and abetting the enemy. Yeah. I, yeah, so there's some line there. I mm-hmm. don't know. You know, it's definitely blurred by my my preference, but yeah, I definitely err. You know, kind of like Musk, I err on the side of more information is better. Yeah, right? and a public square, you you have to you have to be free to say information that can offend people. Right. That's... Now this this is beyond offense. This is could kill people. So I don't know. Yeah, well, so I think I'm looking at it through the lens of you have people who don't want this to happen. And my thing is, we live in this age where people want to be the gatekeepers, and they want to decide what you get to see. And that's unfortunate, because what it's basically saying is, I don't think you're smart enough to handle the truth and make decisions for yourself. I'm going to now who gave who gave the gatekeepers the power? To, to do this or to feel like this, um, that's that's an open question. But that, that that's not good for somebody else to say, I know better what's right and wrong and you can't handle it. Because rationality and being able to think that is living, basically. And you have to, why, why shouldn't an American who's, by the way, paying all these tax dollars that are being funneled to a war, why, why don't they have the right to at least- See both sides. Yeah, and make up their own mm-hmm. mind. Maybe it's pure propaganda that's yeah. coming out of it. Maybe it's not. But why can't I decide? So I guess it goes back to the question of a republic versus democracy, right? Yeah. Should we have 100% democracy and uh, we decide on everything? Or should we have well-reasoned men in the middle buffering the mob mentality? I, I had a business partner in France, and um, he was telling me that they – so back in the late 70s, early 80s, before there was an internet or anything even vaguely similar, they made these um, France Telecom state-owned company decided we aren't going to print phone books anymore. We're going to make these dumb terminals. So, you know, computer technology is barely started. We're going to make these dumb terminals. They're going to plug into um, uh, a network into the to the main systems and we won't have to reprint phone books all the time. People can search phone numbers, you know, because it was a big deal. A lot of people moving around in France, I guess. Um, and then a whole ecosystem sprung up. You know, entrepreneurs like my business partner discovered, hey, 
you can do stock quotes. We can make a service and people, instead of calling the phone company to look up a number, they, their machine can go to us and find stock quotes or weather or whatever, right? Pre-internet example. Um, and he told me they did, uh, the government did an experiment with voting, mass voting mm -hmm. on like mm -hmm. tiny issues, referendum by referendum. Right. And he said it was a terrible, it was a terrible thing. He, he in the end said, you don't want everybody voting. Um, so should there be some friction to voting? Uh, that's a bigger question, you know. Should there be a bigger friction to some of this stuff? Yeah. Well, I think the obvious answer is yes. And the obvious reason is because you don't want a 49% minority being overrun by a 51%. It doesn't matter what tyranny, side you're on. Tyranny of the majority. Yeah, because the other, the boot could end up on the other side, yeah. you know, kicking you. It's just not good. You have to go by principles. You have to. You can't just be about short-term seizure of power because it's within your grasp, you know, you think. That never ends up good. You know, you have to care about the people that you live with. Uh, so so I think that's the obvious answer and reason. And, yeah. and I'll just say, too, to your thing about, you know, voting and stuff, I think a funny example from business is, uh, I think it was Ford, and he was like, if people had asked me what they wanted, they would have said, a faster carriage or, or you know <laughs> yeah that's he, a great he came out with the yeah, car that. you know so there is something about people don't always know you know the best and it's good to to get input from everybody you know yeah but you have to examine the alternative and if yeah. if we didn't let journalists report both sides even though we disagree with half the country disagrees with one side or the other then you know we're definitely sliding toward 1984 right Right, Night, uh, Brave New World. No, nineteen eighty-four. I think we're in a combination of both. <laughs> we're right definitely, now. we're definitely in Brave New World right now. <laughs> yeah. Let's pop another Soma. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. No, no doubt. No doubt. Well, so that gets into um, what's going on in Hawaii, and I don't know if you saw this news, but Hawaii basically said um, that the spirit of aloha, unless I have this wrong, um, basically it supersedes the American Constitution. Meaning they're not going to go by the Second Amendment in Hawaii. Oh, I don't know the full details. That won't pass judicial review. The, the, <laughs> the problem is you could end up with some sort of bacchanization of the American judicial system, much less states. Well, we already have that. That's, yeah. that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's your take on that? It's... Uh... Yeah, it's a really rough take because, you know, I've become a little cynical and jaded that, you know, as I watch our court systems, you know, again, either side you're on, you think, well, he was appointed by Bush. Well, he was appointed by Obama. Obama, that's why they're ruling that way. And I think there's definitely some truth to that, right? They bring in, judges bring in their uh, personal and political biases. And so that it's kind of like what I see in journalism. It's kind of like what I see in science. I see it in the academy and academia. Mm -hmm. There is, there's like no effort anymore for people try to try to stay objective. Um, there's no integrity in that, right? It's it, 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 I've mentioned this before. I think when I was young, there were certain journalists you couldn't tell their political persuasion. You didn't know. And to me, that was good. It felt like, and it, maybe they were just better at filtering and then steering me to the wrong stuff, which is probably true. But um, yeah, I mean, the court system is balkanized. The states are getting balkanized. I, 
Yeah, it's hard to say where it ends. Well, if you're going to have California doing one thing and, you know, Oklahoma doing something else and Texas is going to, you know, like, why are we even a country then? You know, like, that's, I hate even saying that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm with you. I, I, it pains me to think that way. And I, I haven't let myself, like, go down that rabbit hole in my head before because I'm like, no, we're, we're going to pull this out. Like, America, it's America. Yeah. It's going to yeah. come together. And, but, but unfortunately, certain, you know, political views have done a really great job of splitting people up into different groups. Doesn't matter geography and just atomizing people and collecting them that way. It's um, a rabbit hole I let myself go down to in the last few years of, you know, is it time for a national divorce? You know, there, there's basically lines drawn and we don't talk anymore. There's just hatred, you know, accusations, um, you know, maligning of character and so forth. And I think that, I think that makes it tough. And so I've thought about it and I've thought it might be time. And I hate that too, because I mean, I have this nationalistic, you know, I was raised when it was still a thing. Um, but that brings up a topic about risk that I've been thinking about. I'd like to hear what you think about this. The, uh, and I might have broached on this before with the border and uh, potential civil war, you know, non-negligible chance of civil war. I got to thinking, we, we've been raised, you know, probably most generations alive today have been raised in pretty darn stable times, right? You know, we think our uh, recession is, is bad, but... I mean, we haven't had like starvation, depression, world wars, et cetera. So naturally, the way our brains work is we discount that, I'll call it stability risk. Yeah. Take it for granted. We take it for granted. And therefore, we, pro we probably overemphasize unknown risk like AI, like, right? right? So I think people in general are thinking you know, are more fearful of AI and what's coming than probably what is a much higher, probably an order of magnitude or two, uh, risk of war or, you know, sunspot blowing out our electrical grid or whatever it is, right? What do you think about that? Yeah, risk. Um, I think, I think that's just a lot of people out there are unaware and blissfully so and purposefully so. You know, a lot of people don't want on. to deal with it. Blinders. Yeah. And, you know, they're so used to, speaking of just modernity, the modern thing is like outsourcing a lot of your life. And I think uh, people often outsource their thinking as well. Sometimes they outsource their emotions to people like, you think, you feel for me, I'll adopt it. And uh, this gets into um, Luke Burgess's thing. I, I got you guys in the philosophy group on this. What was it? I'm going to edit all of this out. That's fine. I don't remember. <sighs> uh, mimetics. Okay. Mimetics. You know, uh, just that that's a great topic of discussion as it relates to, I think, the idea of risk. You pick somebody that you want to be like or somebody that you don't want to be like, and you just sort of adopt that mentality. And there's so little critical thinking going on. You know, so I this this is my long way of saying I don't think that people are really thinking of the risk or they're they're just willfully <laughs> yeah. ignorant. People aren't thinking of the risk is true. I don't think people are thinking. So I find 
you know, we're talking about short form versus short form versus long form video. And uh, clearly the preponderance of the evidence is people are into short term, short form video, right? Attention spans are shot. Attention spans are shot. And I've always assumed that's a negative. Um, I see it in myself when I think that's negative. I, I have this kind of like experiment I do where I have to drive somewhere and I turn off the radio intentionally to have quiet thought, meditation, prayer, you know, whatever time uh, you, f- you find is right. And like subconsciously within 60 seconds, I've reached back up and put something on news, some right. radio, whatever. And it's like, wow, that's pretty scary. I can't go, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a forced, difficult thing to go and have a, a long period of thought. So I, I'm not sure how much people are thinking anymore. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, when I ran into the quote for the first time in my life, and it's way overused, you know, that, you know, there was somebody, one of the Roman emperors back in the day said something along the lines of, you know, if we give people bread and circus, then we'll do whatever we want. Basically, it was the gist. A video game, a a 300 square foot apartment and a video game. So if you're a quote unquote elite, you know, and you want to run things, you're doing a pretty good job, you know, of distracting people into oblivion. It's... Yeah, well, how much is intentional versus like um, just an evolved society? I don't know. Right? Well, because yeah. we're evolving to satisfy our needs. Our needs are quick, and we want them gratified immediately. Immediate gratification, right? Yeah, I do see some pushback. You know, like I think there's a small movement of people who want to go back to the flip phone, and it's going to become like a hipstery thing to not have the latest technology. My neo-Amish Catholic communities. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's going to crop up in some interesting ways, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. it could be that, you know, this most recent, you know, the, the last several generations that have been so connected spawn a generation who just out of sheer, that's too mainstream for me. The pendulum swings. Yeah. And, you know, the pendulum swings, but it feels like it doesn't come back to the middle feels like it keeps going one direction in this yeah. case shorter attention spans faster maybe the neural implants etc yeah you know i'm sure you've read screw tape letters mm-hmm. and the uh, concept of the kingdom of noise and whether you're approaching it from a christian perspective or just like a uh, secular observational perspective no doubt we're there i mean constant i mean it's moved as close as you can get it right into yeah. our ears uh, we can't we can't walk away, most of us can't, I definitely can't, walk away from like a room without your phone. Yeah. You know, it's like an appendage now and it's just this constant simulation. Doesn't seem good, probably, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so I think part of the issue is we really have bifurcated our lives. We, we have an online life and we have an offline life and... One depends on the other. You can't have the online without the offline. And there's some synthesis between the two where they do overlap and they do play off each other. And it's a really interesting question. Will the coming generations feel like one is more important than the other? You know, will they value? I think they've already voted, right? Isn't it like the average screen time is six, eight hours a day or something? Yeah, but it sets us up for weird things because if you are living your life online, whatever that means in the future... Have you really accomplished anything? Like, what are you accomplishing inside of that virtual realm? 
And does that feel good to not really be accomplishing things? You beat some level or you connect right. and you got so many fans or followers on whatever. If you, if you don't platform. affect anything in the real world. Like what have you done? Why, I, I don't think why people, were you here? Yeah, people don't want to not be accomplished. People don't want to not put their time and talent and efforts towards something. Maybe. Maybe you're seeing the world through your eyes. Um, if not, I think it's pure conditioning. Then they've been conditioned through various ways to not care or want that. Because mm -hmm. I don't think that's inherently, I think people want to strive. I mean, that yeah. that's life. Life is is striving. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll have to abstain on that vote because I'm not sure. I, I again... I've been, yeah, I get really careful of seeing the world through my eyes and everybody doesn't think like I do. Um, but I do know we aren't thinking as much. Well, yeah. <laughs> or we're thinking really quickly. You know, yeah. it, to your point, mono-experientialism. Right. Uh, processing one one thing at a time, all we can do is... Uh, there's, a, there's a thing in fiber optics, uh, time division multiplexing tdm can't remember it's been a while but it's like you you only you know whether it's copper or fiber you only have this much physical to push the information right. through so all you can do is chop that information up or compress the information and mm -hmm. that's kind of what we're doing we're compressing it we're compressing it to you know one minute yeah. short videos yeah um or sound bites from the media um yeah yeah doesn't seem like we're built that way to take so much. My wife talks about raising kids, and uh, she's like, you know, if we took took a toddler or a baby to a mall that night, it just was psh, couldn't sleep. Overstimulation, she calls it mm. overstimulation, just overstimulation, too much to see, too much to. Right. And and you know, we definitely didn't evolve that way, or created that way, depending how you look at it. Um, so, what are the long term implications? Yeah, well, I think here's a really interesting sentence that helps to clarify all of this. Can anything ever be more real than reality? And the reason I bring it up like that is because you can have mental experiences with VR and whatever, but life is more than just visual input and mm -hmm. throwing some headphones on, mm -hmm. right? When you are experiencing something in real life, you first of all there's real implications you shoot somebody in real life they're dead you shoot somebody in a virtual world not dead right um but you know there's a difference between touching uh, ice and touching sandpaper like how do you replicate that Tactile. can you ever be more real than reality and even if you could somehow replicate it one-to-one -one, you're not more real not more real yeah but are you uh, back to that effective thing are you effectively real enough i what i'm afraid of is that we're it's it becomes effectively real enough to satisfy a good chunk of the population, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's people, uh, I'm, I, I grew up backpacking in the wilderness and, and kind of enjoying nature. Don't do much of it anymore, but there's people who like alter their lives. They're just totally in touch with nature and, and you know, the reality of, of the outside world. So it's there, but there's a lot who aren't. And if it's effectively good enough, if I can go sit on the beach in the Caymans with my Apple Vision Pro, yeah, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid we're going to lose a big chunk of the population to it. Yeah. And 
I think not to overdo it because I think this is going to come up a lot with me, but I think that's where the idea of limits comes in, and in particular, your life span. Because you could, if it gets to the point where that's sort of the case, you're still going to die. And is that the way that you you got to make decisions? But how do you want to spend the time? I agree, but do they, I mean they have that they have to that question has to be put to them, or they have to come up with it mm-hmm. to 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 even think about it, right? Yeah. And if you don't think if you're just if I'm just passively entertained. I don't have time to think about that because I'm on to my next, you know, I'm going to Paris in my VR set today. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think it's problematic. I saw saw the first dystopian uh, picture of uh, a couple guys at a cafe. So you may have seen this uh, with their Apple Vision Pros on. And, you know, we've all seen it. It was it was sad. I was in an airport um, coming back from Boston, and I saw the Harvard uh, like lacrosse team or someone sitting in the airport. So all these you know overachiever, twenty something kids, and they all every single one of them had their they're just staring at their phone. I'm like, this is like the time of life. You're traveling with your team, right? And it was sad. And now you know now it's gone from that to like complete enclosure yeah well i feel like um i feel like that's unfortunate obviously but i feel like also where this this comes back to like the tucker putin interview thing and letting people think for themselves we're doing a really bad job however this happened just through sheer conditioning and you know accident because technology got developed and people didn't think twice about it and social media happened it got really addicting um or however it happened maybe some intent behind that as well uh, it's just, it's unfortunate that we're not teaching, you know, people to be critical thinkers. We're, we're, we're mostly saying, here's what to think. And we're not saying here's how to think. And I think that's unfortunate. And people are just living their lives on default and not by design. And I think that's a major yeah, design problem. is a big problem. Yeah. Lack of design. And I'll, the other thing I'll say about that is just like in the, in the real world, I think it's a, a luxury these days to have any sort of privacy. Digital privacy, that's a major luxury. <laughs> Not very achievable, no matter who you are. But physical, you know, luxury, a luxury would be like living out in the countryside, maybe away from people and being able to get away. I think there's an analogous thing online where you, uh, it's a luxury to sort of be only in your own head and only have your own thoughts to think and to take a break. You could call it a fast from the digital space. I think that's another form of a luxury. Um, and it's it's painful because it feels like an addiction, like you're saying. If oh, you yeah. don't have your phone around, uh, then it's like you're almost having like FOMO, you're, you're in panic mode or whatever. But you know what I mean? Is there something to that? There's absolutely something to it's that. It's a luxury. It's it's interesting. You bring bring that up. So it's uh, right now it's septuagesmia in the Catholic Church, which is something Catholics don't even know about today. But for you know at least probably around fifteen hundred years, twelve hundred years, this was. No, 1,500 years, up till like the 1960s, this was practiced. And it was this period before Lent where you did penance, you know, you fasted more, um, et cetera. And so personally, I'm in the middle of that. And one of the things is no social media, no, you know, so there's fasting, but there's this, like you said, there's this an addiction to that perhaps dopamine, serotonin, squirt of 
of looking at the news in a quick manner. And I mean, I'm sure everybody's got it, right? Most everybody's got it at this point. Yeah. Well, and, and purposely breaking away from that is probably a good thing to experiment with. I mean, oh, just yeah. like you wouldn't want to be addicted to drugs, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same pathways. You're, you're getting your high from doing that. Yeah. Yes. It's weird because I feel like there's this archetype. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. You could just look at it through the lens of an archetype. You know, you have um, this notion of hidden knowledge. And you see it playing out as soon as you open Genesis. You got this serpent figure, let's say, if you just want to say that. I don't say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's tempting some people to seek knowledge that wasn't intended for them Um that should have remained beyond their grasp. And this has been a perpetual archetype. Every it's everywhere you look. And so part of, you know, the thing with the internet is like, it puts so much at your fingertips. And now as we're getting into the vision pro that puts so many different mental experiences. Also, it's not just the information. It's this new generative realm where, you know, and and so, but still you're mono experiential. So you could have to experience one at a time. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like the hidden thing is is your own brain, your own thoughts now. Like it's reversing. Like everything is available to you now, but now we're sort of like, it's like the inverse. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to push back on that slightly. So um, kind of a new revelation to me, the this concept of, of Genesis and the story of the tree and the temptation. So... For some reason, for many years, I thought that was the tree of knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's actually the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes. So it's more like, here's the tree that, uh, here's, here's the temptation. If you do this, you'll know what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And so it's not so much for me, it's not so much that knowledge is bad or, or reason or rationality, mm-hmm. but this idea that we can individual, I'll say relativistically, since mm-hmm. uh, we're working with objective AI, um, we can decide what's good, what's right and yeah. wrong. And therein lies the rub where, you know, you can't do that. How, I mean, because there is absolute truth, you know, mm-hmm. by my, I mean, whether I believe there's absolute truth or not is not the question. There is absolute truth, right? And, and so trying to judge what's right and wrong on your own, it can't be a good outcome. But that's what people are after today. It's, it's the, it is the thing that they're, that's what I'm talking about, that hidden thing. Like, maybe I can just get it. You might call it the perspectiveless perspective, a.k.a., you know, like God perspective, whether you're a Christian or not. Like, everyone's looking for that God-level experience, but you can't have it, and you never can have it because we're fundamentally Cause, limited. Because you're limited. But I will say to what you're saying, there's a difference between knowing, like contemplating and like having had experienced. So like um, you're talking about the tree and the knowledge of good and evil. You know, you could know that something might be bad or evil or wrong. But let's say, you know, that (laughs) there's something like murder. But that's different than committing murder and having experienced murdering somebody. Yeah. You know, that hits differently. Now you've done something in the timeline that's baked onto you, you know, and that's different than just having contemplated the notion. So there's a difference between 
Yeah. The knowing and the yeah. experiencing. Yeah. Great point. The, um, you know, I've recommended that uh, series to you, uh, Caprica. It was. I a haven't watched it yet. Battlestar yeah. Galactica spinoff. But wrote, raised some really interesting ethical, moral, you know, futurist questions. Um, and one of the things is, you know, the main character's father was like the Bill Gates of that world. And he invented basically, you know, and this show is 15 years ago, but he basically invented the Apple Vision Pro. And, um, but it interfaced with, with the brain somehow. And so the young people were all getting off on it and they would go into this virtual world. And in this virtual world, they would do horrible things like human sacrifice and horrible things because it wasn't in the real world. Mm -hmm. And so they would act out these impulses without it, like you said, being painted on them in the real timeline. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that's, I mean, we see it with, we see we see that with our technology today, right? We do so, bad things with it. So is there a difference in your mind between a mental experience and an actual experience? Because the Bible actually does touch on this. It talks about, you know, if you um, call somebody, uh, what, 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 what am I trying to do here? I guess if you lust after somebody, you know, that, that's a mental thing. But it's still. But that's not good to have done. So there's yeah. some sort of impl implication there. Yeah. Yeah, if you've done it in your brain, you've done it, you know. But you haven't yeah. actually done it. You know, so there's a little wiggle room. Well, But it's yeah. bad I mean, enough. It it depends, right? I, I imagine it's like if you're a bad person, like you're a selfish, mean person in your head, you can you can, to the outside world, you can fake it and hide it, but you're still a bad person insight mm -hmm. or you're still thinking all these bad thoughts i mean maybe you get some credit for controlling it mm -hmm. but but i mean ultimately you're trying to and i guess many people aren't but ultimately yeah. you're trying to improve yourself yeah right so would you say who you are is what you think or what you do or both or is it layered <laughs> because i would say if you're strapped down in a chair or maybe you're paralyzed yeah. you're like a stephen hawking you're still who you you know what you think is still who you are but you're just kind of less able, you know, to, yeah. to act it out. If you act it out too, those are obviously coming from your thoughts. So the thoughts seem to be the prime thing, but it's just that you can also act on them. There's a, there's a great, uh, I think it's Margaret Thatcher quote. Um, thoughts become words, words become habit, habit becomes who you are. Mm. Uh, so this kind of continuation from moving, progressing up that chain. Yeah. Uh, so you I mean, are what you all. repeatedly do. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, and again, it probably depends who you are to yourself or who you are to the outside world. Because yeah. those can be sometimes markedly different, th different things, right? Right. Like, yeah, there's a lot of sociopaths who come off as fine people. And they yeah. aren't. They've learned there's some, there's actually some psychology term on ghost skinning. Does that ring a bell? No. There's something called ghost skinning where it's like you wear this skin, you aren't that person, you, but you, and it, I think it applies to like sociopaths that they can pass right. as having emotion and feeling. There's a strong manipulation going on. Yeah. 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 So it's probably both. It's like who you are to yourself, who you are to the outside world. 
thoughts yeah. versus actions. I think so. Yeah. I want to ping you on this. Um, I see this a lot on Twitter. This uh, we've and we talked a little bit about it. The idea of acceleration, specifically in terms of technology, and you know EACC, you know, or just for short, a lot of people are saying I'm an I'm an Excel, the Excels, but they also refer to the D cells, people who you know don't want to necessarily just embrace every bit of technology without any kind of thinking critically about it. Mm -hmm. And it's almost that, that D cell term gets thrown around almost like a slur, you know, and sure I wanted will be. to ask you your so the way I used to slur that. the Amish. <laughs> so I mean, literally I slurred the Amish. Yeah. And, and yeah, but I come back to it. We're going to have to choose a point because there's, I mean, and maybe some people won't have to choose. I will probably choose a point there. There's, there's a level at which, you aren't really human. You aren't yourself anymore. And you, I'm going to draw a line prior to that. And some people want that. And it, people, amazingly, people want to feel like they aren't doing something wrong. Right. So they're going to slander people who don't do what they, this is the packed mentality, human yeah. herd mentality. And that's, you know, it's like ostracize and, mm -hmm. you know, make yourself, or you convince them, so that you can feel better about yourself. I mm -hmm. can convince you to do what I'm doing. That means I'm doing something okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm sure that's happening. And I'm sure both sides will do it, right? The D cells, this is a new term to me, but the D cells will be, you know, condemning the A cells, X cells. X cells. X cells. Right. Yeah. It doesn't roll off the tongue yeah. very well. Yeah. But here's, so here's why I bring that up. It's, you know, just conceptually, the idea of progress this utopian idea of progress, um, how it, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being on one side or the other, but I just want to say conceptually, how much progress is enough progress before a progressive becomes a conservative? Because you would think if you're looking for some change from how things are, what in whatever realm, then if you're looking for, if it's good now to pursue it, then why wouldn't you want to eventually bake it in and be, you, you would turn from a progressive into a conservative at some point, but that never happens because they it turns more. out it seems like the actual thing with the progressive mindset from someone, the outsider looking in, is just change for the sake of change, not change for a specific target necessarily. Because I've asked some progressive people that I know, I'm like, well, how much progress is enough? And they're just like kind of, they've never thought about it. They're just like <laughs> flabbergasted. Speaking, speaking of not thinking, I run into that a lot. You know, as someone who tries to make thinking time, I run into a lot of conversations with people who ostensibly very intelligent and would be in the know, and they just haven't thought about that next level. Mm -hmm. It's like, in my mind, the way I conduct myself, if I haven't thought much about it, I don't put forth a confident answer. Mm. <laughs> or I don't, maybe I don't live my life that way, yeah. like as if it's true, you know. And so I think that's kind of funny. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's so back to that thought time. People need more thinking. Yeah. And, and in that, you know, discussion about accelerating or decelerating, you know, I, I think uh, a middle way is, is obviously going to be better and, more, and healthier because I think there's clearly space to not be labeled a D cell, so to speak. 
um, but to still be a little bit cautious with your optimism. You could be optimistic about and, and get some acceleration in, but also stop and think about um, what are the, so what, what do you think that in-between realm is? How would you label that? First, first, can I say maybe being adverse to being termed decel, maybe just societal pressure already mm -hmm. starting. Um, you know, it's interesting throughout history, at least modern post-industrial revolution, a goal in the cities, you know, we urbanized from agrarian, we all came into the cities, and the goal was make enough money to get back out, right? right. Get to the suburbs. Like, if I could live in the suburbs, hey, mm -hmm. I was doing well. And then the goal is like, I want to retire and, you know, get a hobby farm. Yeah. It's like, so there's like this decel thing built into some mm. of us, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I think... You hit a point where you want to... I think so. That might be age accelerating i don't yeah. know that might be age right yeah i think that would be age because you do want to slow down because you do realize you start to sense the the limit yeah. of of death and it's you it's like okay i have x number of time years do i want to spend that watching another show tv show do i want to spend that playing another video game or do i want to spend that like building a shed that will be here right. when i'm gone yeah, posterity. Now, that's a big part of this. Uh, and legacy and tradition. Because I think there's a, a growing mentality. I'm seeing it online for, I don't know what else to call it, other than blank slatism, where people just want to throw everything out, out that came before and just start over. Like, people who came before, they didn't know. They weren't informed. They have no experience that's relevant to me. <laughs> look at all this technology. Surely we can do better. And you can look back in history and see some blank slatism, you know, like, trying to play out French Revolution. Absolutely. And so what's your take on that? I, I mean, are you running into that? Are you, are, you know, do you foresee that being uh, something that people think more and more with, you know, new technologies hitting in particular? Yeah, I mean, more and more, and it's an age thing too, but more and more, you know, I'm in my 50s. If I go out and I start seeing people at restaurants and airports strapped into their thing, with other people and not corresponding and talking with them, uh, that's that's going to trouble me, right? Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. I, but, I mean, but at the same time, wouldn't you, I, I know you, I think you think the technology is cool. Technology like is cool. Technology is cool. I, I got to tell you, I saw an, uh, a guy with an Apple Vision Pro um, being productive with like five screens, you know, right. running. And it's like, oh, I kind of want to use it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I kind of want to use it. Yeah. And, you know, maybe at some point I will. Um, right. But. So what we're not saying God. is that the technology. Ah, I love is technology. Itself. Is... I invent technology. I make technology. Right. I, lo I love technology. So where's that line between, ah, I'm you a know. Conflicted person. I told yeah. you. I, 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 I know adversity is good, and yet I strive to eliminate adversity. That's, that's my conflict i live with i don't know yeah i don't yeah. know what you do about that right do you do you purposely introduce adversity to yourself yeah well yeah. here so here's the thing i think technology can change and will change in amazing and miraculous ways but humans don't really change <laughs> so 
if somebody wants to come along and yeah. say blank or, slate or at least fast enough yeah yeah blank slate let's uh let's start everything from scratch because look at all this great technology just think about what we can do with ai and but people don't change really and so you can't just get rid of all the different traditions and experiments that have happened in the past mm -hmm. well you 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 can you could but we've we have to yeah some degree that's it's not and a it's, given that that's going to go good like some people think it doesn't maybe always turn out well because change for the sake of change it's not anything other than change that's what it is it's change but is what's coming or is what's different better you don't know until you do it and so, yeah yeah i mean so part of my family thinks you know let's go back to the middle ages and you know I can't imagine that being a good thing, right? Lack of human rights, 50% child mortality, um, famine, starvation. I can't imagine, and that's me being very biased toward technology and where we're at, but I can't imagine that being good. And so, but I do recognize that maybe there is too far, like we're going too far, and I don't know... I haven't figured out what that line is, if we've hit it, if we've passed it. I mean, you can look at all of, there's a great TED Talk on this. You can look at all of the graphs, um, like child suicide, you know, teen suicide, depression, um, all, all of these things, and there's this inflection point at the iPhone. It's like 2007, is that about mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 2007, everything starts going crazy. And it's hard not to correlate that to the social pressures of Facebook, um, the, the getting lost, not thinking, not having time to think anymore. So maybe we passed it. Maybe that was the point. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess when you really boil it down, I wonder if it just comes down to too far is when people start dying. And, and you could argue there's different sorts of deaths there's yeah. physical death yeah but there's also yeah yeah uh, yeah mental spiritual yeah right right and you sort of have killed off humanity uh in several different ways if you look at you know things like attention if you've hijacked it you know 95 percent, that person's Let, not even making decisions listen we spend think about think about um drug overdose and addiction we lose, dead lose, you know, death, 100,000 people a year. That's, that's insane. That's almost now three times the amount we lose in car accidents. And we spend at least hundreds of millions, I can't imagine maybe a few billion on trying to prevent auto deaths, mm -hmm. right? Through traffic signage, through standards, you know, through crash tests. And it doesn't, feel like we're acknowledging or maybe we're working and I, maybe I just don't know enough about it, but we're working hard enough on this other kind of death. You know, it ends up being real death, but there's got to be for that hundred thousand people that died, there's got to be, I don't know, 10 to 50 million people that aren't dying, but are basically dead. Yeah. Right. I mean, my son, uh, uh was working with the homeless in Denver and of all places, Denver, you know, choosing who would think of Denver and, he said it was just, you know, the tent villages and the drug addiction. It was just shockingly depressing. It was, these people are, you know, it's, it's super sad. And so we might have hit a point, it feels to me, we hit a point where 
it's too much and people can't cope. We couldn't change fast enough. We don't get our thinking time. We don't get to relate to other people. What do you think? Um, yeah, you know, whenever you are contemplating big ideas in the world, especially in the political realm, for instance, which that touches on, you can always say, well, follow the money, look at the money. But mm -hmm. another way to just think about it is like, well, does this benefit anybody? Because clearly it doesn't benefit the people who are homeless or have a drug addiction. But it's really interesting to think about, given that so many people find themselves in that state, in these various states, homeless, addicted to drugs, addicted to online, you know, just social news, social scrolling, whatever it is. Who does that benefit? Does it benefit somebody? Because that's a really inter interesting, or a group of people. Sure. Shareholders of Facebook, Chinese government for fentanyl, Mexican cartels for transport. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're benefiting. They think they're benefiting. Right. So then coming back to this idea of death, it, it, you know, in order to fix some of this stuff, would it require somebody who's not looking to have a long career in politics because it would be a political death for them to head on, put <laughs> yeah. a stop to something. Yeah, good argument right there for term limits. Absolutely, we, I can't uh, believe they don't exist. Yeah, yeah, I was right I was now. around during the Ging Gingrich Revolution in his contract for America, and that was one of his 13 points. He got like 11 or 12 of the 13 points, I think it was 13, um, through and couldn't get term limits through. But it was like this one moment in time where that might happen. We may not have career politicians who bilk us and just try to you know send the pork back home i don't know how you could ever fix that because who's going to vote against their jobs be only, george washington and only say, good people <laughs> two terms was enough only altruistic people yeah and if you have the power to keep your job and retain a bunch of power and benefits yeah it's crazy it's crazy yeah 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 hey i had something uh i wanted to talk about i don't know if you came yep. across the uh the ai deep fake money scam uh hong kong I heard a little bit yeah. about it. Tell me about it. So, uh, <laughs> hilarious deal. Hong Kong company, um, accounting staff person, you know, probably higher up because of their ability, their wiring ability, takes a video call meeting with the CFO and several <laughs> other of their colleagues. And they're talking about this project they're doing, and it's kind of secret because they don't want to reveal it to the public yet. We need, you know, we need to wire $25 million. The person does it. They were all deep fakes. They were interacting with their colleagues that they know well, and they were all deep fakes, and they wired $25 million, lost $25 million to scammers who set up these deep fakes. Ouch. Yeah. Talking about, you know, and it, it, it's just like six months ago, we started talking about uh, how are you going to know you're talking to a real person? Yeah. You know, there's the example. That person did not, and it was millions of dollars, $25 huh. million. So, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. It's like their own personal matrix that they got inserted into a little bubble of a they matrix. Did. And yeah. Yeah, well, I, I would, you know, given the potential rewards for criminals, you know, I mean, I don't know what it Infinite costs incentive. Them to, yeah, right. Infinite incentive. Yeah, so one question that comes up in my head is, I know people are working on trying to identify, um, you know, copy that was written by AI, for instance. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, to some extent, you can run through some software and tell if an image was created by AI to some extent. Um, I wonder if there's a way to watermark a person. Yeah, is, uh, I wonder if there is. Help you know? us. <laughs> help us. This is, 
you know, it, that's ter- it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing, I think. If you had to, you know, if you were tasked with defending against something like that, and you were the security officer at a company like that, what would you do? How would you go about it, do you think? Well, I mean, you just put in, uh, yeah, I mean, you're would you just have say have, that- like, biometric uh, in-person approvals or something. Yeah, right? before it could And that'll connect. last us a while. I mean, if you think about this, like, technological spectrum, I'm trying to think, I'm not probably old enough but if we started email uh, and phishing it's like is this really i get things all the time at work it's like i'll get an employee saying um uh i've changed my direct deposit instructions so i have to like stare at that before i send it to our uh you know our um accounting team because i don't want them to get you know, why is, first of all, it shouldn't be coming to me. Yeah. Second of all, is that real? And we have a lot of people I don't know the names. So it's like, right. how do you, so you try to match the email. It's like, okay, I'm going to forward this. Yeah. Uh, you need to look into if this is real. Yeah. So that check and balance, you need to talk to the person, get them on the phone. Right. You know, and that's, that's email. Yeah. You know, and now we're going to, you know, video. Oh. The audio one, I had a friend, did I tell you about this story? Mm. I had a friend um, whose mother gets a call one night, and it's, Grandma, I'm in jail. Yeah. And then the phone's taken away, and there's, you know, this is officer so-and-so, and this is a Friday night. Her husband's out of town. Um, and it's officer and so-and-so, uh, we got your grandson, he did such and such, and he's going to have to spend the weekend in jail unless you can post bail. Um and so conversation ensues, count how to post bail. Uh, and I think it ended up being a FedEx deal. It's like, well, it's, you know, maybe it's Friday afternoon. If you send it, you know, we'll get it tomorrow and we can release them. And she did it, you know, and it was like, I don't know, five or $10,000. And she put it in the mail. And husband gets home Saturday, is able to intercept and stop FedEx, stop the whole thing. But that was, you know, we went from email and that was probably five, ten years ago, to, you know, audio. And now video is here. I don't know. It's going to be tough to combat. We need, and we need a lot of help for the older people who will not understand yeah. and be taken in. So it seems like every family ought to have a rotating code word. <laughs> like Funny. You know, like. Funny, the nuclear codes. Yeah, basically, for your life almost, right? For That's family a great members. idea. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy stuff, though. Yeah. Right here, and so that brings this up. I thought about this the other day. I'm not sure I can Funny. phrase this perfectly, but to what extent is VR, AR, you know, anything online that's a facsimile, you know, of you or or even anything? How much? To what extent is that just a lie? It might be useful. Like, like, can you frame it that way? Like, if something is visual, um, to what extent is that? a lie you know like in in technology technology is lying in a way so but is it a lie if it's just transmitted you know i i'm looking at my mug there it is and now if i'm looking at a mug over video that's still real that's not a lie it's still the real mug pixels you're not sure it's real. yeah i'm not sure it's the but in this case it is the idea is real but it's it's yeah shoot that's pretty deep that's it's transmitting it's it's putting me 
Yeah. I don't know. That's a good something to ponder. Yeah. More thought time. Yeah. I don't know the answer More either. More thought time needed. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about something. The um, This is this kind of off topic, but I saw that um, Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket, uh, the federal government designated them low-income areas so they could get EV chargers paid for by the federal government. Hmm. And if that doesn't just like crystallize the whole screwed up, corrupt bureaucracy, yeah, what else does? I mean, if you've ever been to Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket, very wealthy spots, right? right. In fact, um, what is it called? Vine Haven or Vineyard Haven uh, area specifically in Martha's Vineyard, they designate it as low income. You pull up Zillow and I did this. Because I've, I've been there and I'm like, well, is there a low income? Maybe I'm wrong. You know, always check yourself. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a low income part. I pull up Vineyard Haven and the homes are like one to $20 million, averaging probably seven or $8 million. And yet my tax dollars are going to pay for these guys to have EV chargers. Yeah. And it's just like, that is so, that is so wrong. Yeah. I, I you know, I don't know. It feels to me like, Another thing, technology growing out of control, and again, I'm a techno-optimist, and but bureaucracy, federal government growing out of control, and it seems like there's no stopping it. Yeah. Okay, this is going to be a fun conversation. The first thing I want to say, though, before we get to the fun part, is if you don't have ethics, then you think that's smart. You know what I mean? Gaming the system. Right. Now, from an ethical point of view, obviously, that's terrible. Yeah. But to your point on bureaucracy... Uh, and how do you escape it? Uh, you mentioned something to me about somebody who had the idea of creating a free-floating state oh, out in international right. waters. And I want to talk about if you had to create a new country today, is that even possible? Would anyone let you do it? Where could you do it and how? Because the options probably would be in the ocean somewhere, on the moon, Mars. Greenland. <laughs> Greenland. To, you know, would tell, let's talk about this. Denmark, this is fascinating. Will Denmark let us buy it? Um <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That's a great, it's a great thing to think about. So the idea is, you know, we're in a social contract. We're born into it. Uh, is that a Hobbesian thing or something? Um, and we give up certain rights to get other rights. So I'm going to give up the right to kill someone so that I feel like I'm not going to get killed. Um, the problem is that that's grown. That contract has grown to be pretty excessive in some people's view. And I think it's Milton Freeman's son, you'd have to fact check me on that, that came up with this idea of we need a way that's easier to bow out of the social, social contract and go somewhere else. Um, you know, we could move to Canada perhaps. Can't really do it. They have actually, ironically, being a more liberal country, they have tighter uh, uh, immigration controls. Um, they aren't a lot. We're a lottery system. It's like, you know, just randomly pick. Uh, Canada has... Is, you know, you have to have certain income, you have to have these job potentials, you, you know, different things. Um, so it's hard to get out of the United States social contract or any other country for that matter. Um, and so his idea was, we're going to make, we're going to make new nations. They're basically like terraform floating islands and they can be like modular and they can dock and undock from each other. You know, it's a far-fetched future thing, but the concept is interesting, right? It's like we need a way, which is coming back, circling back to this national divorce. Um, 
we could, it's, it's a lot easier. I mean, you've done it. You switched states. Um, I've switched, I've moved around the whole country and it's a lot easier to bow out of a social contract of a state than the U S. And so, but the problem is most of the things that affect your life are at the federal level, right? I mean, just think about your tax burden. Most states average about 6% state income tax. The federal government's averaging, you know, 35, 30, whatever it is. So it's like five times bigger control there. So moving doesn't affect you that much. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you go from like Moss, maybe you go from California at 11% income tax to Texas and all the regulatory things, maybe that has a pretty decent impact. But for most people, it's not a giant thing. Whereas if we were smaller governances at a state level um, or at island nations or mm -hmm. something, maybe we could we could have that, we could introduce the variable of competition into governance, which is not here, mm -hmm. right? In all private industry, if you don't do a good job, you don't deliver better or faster services to your end customers, then you fail. Government, right. not so. Yeah. You so know, we need that. I could be wrong, but I think Balaji, uh, who used to work at Coinbase, has talked about something similar to that, where countries will end up competing for people in the future, and people will basically be able to be nomadic uh -huh. and um, take their identities their, and their... Bitcoin or whatever he's based that off of with them and sort of be a state of one, like a sovereign individual. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting. I've seen, I've seen the first advertisements in the last few months, uh, you know, like some Eastern European country, can't remember if it's Hungary or somewhere. It's like, come here, you know, we'll give you a passport for this much. And yeah, I mean, they're actually, mm -hmm. that's actually kind of competing. The problem with that is, is, from the U.S. perspective, we are one of the few countries in the world that tax income no matter where you make it. Right. If you're a citizen, if I hold a U.S. passport and I go to Hungary for two years and I work there, they're going to take money from me. Right. And that doesn't fly. Um, so we're back to that thing. You can't really get out of our social contract. Right. So it, it, it inhibits what you're saying. So unless you uh, build yourself a company that can build rockets and escape to another planet. <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, if you're willing to, I mean, you can do it. You, you, I, I can move to Hungary tomorrow, yeah. but I've given up my U.S. citizenship. Right. And that still has a lot of value to me. Right. Yeah. I still think we're probably the best in the world. I think our, our, immigration proves that everybody's voting with their feet literally with their feet right now coming in that we're the place to come and i would not want to i would not want to give up my u.s passport yeah i wonder how far out into space you'd have to be to be like in international waters equivalent <laughs> of like you know that's funny uh, uh bezos or musk sets up a space station building company and you can like start a colony how far out i wonder do you have to Probably be? not very far. I mean, once you're in, I'll bet once you're in orbit, you're free, right? International waters, I used to live aboard a sailboat. International waters, it depends where you're at, you know, seven miles, 30 miles. Um, and you're, you're not under U.S. law. You're not under anybody's law at that point. That's right. not very far. So there's this practice in the boating world <laughs> where you'll go, you'll, let's say you're purchasing, you're, you're buying or selling a boat, and you'll go with the seller out 
you know, oh, outside funny. of international it's waters, funny. consummate the transaction, right. flag my boat in the Bahamas or wherever it is, Cayman, um, and now, you know, I avoided the U.S. law ostensibly. Right. But, you know, they're cracking down on all that. The US, they're, they got their claws in. And, and your question, and I'd like to hear your thoughts, how would they let, let's say, let's say we had the technology to feasibly make a floating island nation mm-hmm. and, you know, 50,000 people went out there and were doing it. Would, would, they, would the U.S. government leave them alone? Yeah, I don't think so. Why? If they can help it. Well, that's, that's uh, number one, for the image, right? You can't have that if you're a country, right? You can't have your people leaving. No, what does that say about you? Says your Soviet Union pre-1980, <laughs> 1992. Yeah, and I think just from a level of control, you've, you've created an, a new asset, you know, like a new Hawaii that's going to make a great, like, naval base or something. It's going to become a strategic point, you know, that the world is too small and too interconnected these days, I feel like, for that to really, unless there was some, you know, uh, limited nuclear activity on the planet and things were half decimated. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a different story. Right. Now you're just protecting from anarchy. But we do leave, we do leave the Amish alone, not to pick on the Amish here, but we do leave the Amish alone. Yeah, I think, I think to an extent. Although they're paying, ostensibly they're paying income taxes, maybe. Well, I saw a, an Amish guy, a farmer, and uh, the government was coming after him because he didn't, I don't know if he didn't use um, the right vaccines, or I think he was going completely unvaccinated on his cows or something. Oh, I saw something that. having to do. And yeah. so they're not really leaving them alone as yeah. much as they used to. Yeah, he was losing like everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it's everything, the, the world is just. They killed, they killed his cows. They killed all his happened? cattle and threw away the meat. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, this feeds my whole community. And they just killed it and tossed it. Right. So yeah, what, what is that about? Is that that's a, true. Don't that, that's be good, self-sustaining. Good, good point. Is that the lesson the government wants? Yeah. The lesson is don't, don't do anything outside of uh, regulations. Yeah. Although we do have Supreme Court uh, decisions coming up. Chevron uh, is, has been heard. And we do have some Supreme Court decisions that are going to test the regulatory state here. Mm-hmm. So that'll be really interesting. And they, yeah. they, you know, the pundits say there's far-reaching implications, uh, and there's a good chance that, at least in a limited way, um, some of these doctrines will be defeated, and it'll take away a lot of that power. You know, mm-hmm. I had, I think it was the Obama administration put in some EPA, the EPA during that time put in some guidelines about uh, navigable waters. Um, I had a pond, little pond, and it doesn't have to be big, on my land back in Virginia, and like that's regulated and it's like what i dug a hole every little thing and fed a fountain you know and made a made a pond and it's like unbelievable you know and you don't have the money or time to fight them or meet the regulations or suffocating you are suffocating i often talk about i built my own home i built this log cabin and and it was in virginia and it was you know, an hour away, 45 minutes away from Monticello where Jefferson lived. And if you had told Jefferson, I was going through, I mean, I'm like literally doing this myself when I say built it, like on my logs, on my shoulders. And if you told Jefferson that the government was coming, the zoning officer, to 
have an interim inspection and told him or told me in this case that my handrails that I made were a half inch too big around and that I had to tear it down or I can't live there. That's crazy. I mean, or that I can't, if was on a lake, I can't go and fish because I don't have a license. If you told that to Jefferson, I mean, that is so far removed from what we fought for. And I, I often think about that. Did, did you know De Tocqueville? Yeah. De Tocqueville talks about um, basically the, the premise is government degenerating into excessive licensure and idiots call that freedom. And that's what happened. Yeah. He prophetic. He was very prophetic on that. Well, yes. Everything we're talking about is less and less control over our personal lives. But we're also seeing it in business with what happened with Elon and Tesla recently. Yeah. That was crazy. <laughs> if your board of directors doesn't have say-so over how the company operates. It, it wasn't even the board. I think there was a, a 73 or almost 80% majority shareholder vote right. saying that he, uh, let's give background on this. Probably everybody knows it. But right. he had this pay compensation package said in like 2018. You know, at the time, Tesla's probably like a $30 billion market cap. And basically, it's like, if we become a $500 billion, I don't know the numbers, size company, if we grow by 20x, or maybe even a trillion was one of the numbers. If we do that, then I get, you know, 10% of it or 5%. And I'm a shareholder. I'm and like, absolutely. No one thought he could do that. Nobody thought he could do it. So it was go impossible. For it. it was like high risk, it was high reward. Impossible. Yeah. And... You know, I'm like, absolutely. I don't have a problem with that. You make me 10 times my money, I will give you 10% of it. Great. And so that passed unanimously, and a Delaware court ruled that that was too much compensation. Yeah. So he worked, the last five years, worked his butt off making Tesla the first automobile company in 100 years to successfully start up and compete against the, uh, the majors. And... They took away $53 billion of his net worth. Yeah. Where did that go? Just back into the company? Or? Well, yeah. He so just didn't it's, get it's, it. I'm sure it's being appealed. It'll probably get tossed out, but yeah. Yeah, he's moving the company to Texas now. Is it Texas? Nevada? I think, yeah, what online pulled it. And yeah, he said. online pulled it. <laughs> Gotta love the guy. Yeah, I mean, it's. But that's what you're talking about. Just the licensure and the power, just what's left, yeah. kind of. Yeah. I can't have you, uh, if I need it, but I can't have you cut my hair, right? That's illegal. Well, I can have you do it, but I can't give you money for it. Yeah. How ridiculous is that? I mean, yeah. really, right. that's that's ridiculous. I understand this, this knee-jerk reaction to try and protect people, mm -hmm. but I think it's beyond that. I think it's just job creation and yeah. job justification. And, and, and since we're, again, coming back to our corrupt nature, you know, we have... I believe there's fallen nature, you know, we, I mean, I, I think you have to be stupid, you know, religious, secular, whatever you are, if you don't think people have an inclination to do bad things, I think you're just not honest. And so, you know, that zoning officer I talked about, um, inspection guy building my house, multiple rounds of this, you know, you have probably had like six or eight inspections by the time I was done. Um, he has the power and therefore what am I, if I didn't have morals, what am I incented to do? Bribe him, give him a little something. 
that's the way many countries run. I hear that's yeah. like India is totally run on that. I mean, we have a client in Belize and, you know, that's, we experienced it firsthand. We want to get this product into Belize at the airport. We're giving this guy 500 bucks. Yeah. You know, and it's just, if you give people power, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're going to have corruption and, and then that's going to grow. Right. Yeah. It's a pay, it's a, it's a, what do they call it? Uh, racket pay for protection scheme. Yeah. <laughs> it's a protection scheme, basically. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, you see the way things are going in like South Africa and where people, neighborhoods are like hiring private security. You know, it, it's That's just, scary. I don't like how everything's devolving, you know. But is that devolving? I mean, is the recognition that, I mean, that is absolutely devolving, but. You know, using private security, I don't know that that's necessarily devolving. I think the idea that centralized security is going to work better. Maybe oh, yeah. Okay. Flawed. Well, that's that's a different thing. But it's just kind of a scary thought that, uh, you know, what if in America, like, everyone can't get along and, like, neighborhood it's a scary by thought. neighborhood is, like, jungle it's survival. It's a scary thought. It's, yeah. And I, and I believe it's much higher risk than me dying in a car accident, right? I mean, I think there's a much, much higher chance that we devolve, using your word, or we have a civil war, or because we don't talk, we hate each other, we don't come from common values. We, I think we used to come from common values. Now we don't. Mm-hmm. It's like some people are coming from like be altruistic and outside of myself, and some people are coming from whatever satisfies me personally. Well, right? can I interject there? Because we were having this conversation earlier about um, immigration and countries and and could you start a new country and i think partly you know we have physical borders for states and and uh countries but there's been a lot of immigration let's say digitally like mentally ideas have come in because of the internet obviously Mm -hmm. and reshaped the country so i think you're right we're we have like two parallel systems of morals virtues you know, um, and it's really, I, I think you could say, uh, there's, there's dogma, there's heretics, you know, people on the left want to say they're not religious, but you could really make the case that <laughs> it's very religious and all that stuff was, I was think everybody's religious in their own way. Something's at the top of right? your hierarchy. Something is yeah. you, you are submissing to your belief in something, in yeah. the power of science you know, I'm a science-oriented guy or in God. Um, I'm definitely, definitely a believer in God. And, or, you know, it could be DEI. It's like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, you know, I, I believe that. That's that's the ultimate truth for me. Um, yeah, and we don't share those anymore. At least there's a definite bifurcation. Yeah. Right? It's and not I, geographic. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Not totally geographic, partially yeah. geographic. I mean, you can see it in the way states votes. and But yeah, even within states, there's pockets of different... It's not purely geographic. Yeah. Maybe so not even mostly geographic. Probably maybe not even. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how you... I don't I don't know how you deal with that. I would like to see... It would be really interesting for to look at um, Europe. I don't know enough about this, but, you know, you take take maybe like France, which leans left leans being probably uh, uh, charitable and hungry, which leans right. You know, they're both pretty far left and pretty far right. And 
it'd be interesting to see immigration numbers around that. What's going on? You know, how that, is that sorting? Are they sorting themselves? Right. I'm thinking maybe not. You'd, you'd, you'd think it would, but it seems like maybe not. I mean, there's a sorting going on because what do you do if I'm like, first of all, Hungary doesn't allow immigrants in, right? France, to some degree, opens their arms. You know, there was a Rene, what was it, the Camp of the Saints? Did you ever read Camp of the Saints? No. Camp of the Saints was a book in the 70s um, about, it was kind of fictional, but it was about an invasion from North Africa and not like an army invasion, but a flood of immigrants. And now, I mean, it's totally happening. France, I mean, he was prophetic. He was 40, 50 years ahead of his time. And everybody, you know, ridiculed him as this right wing, you know, person with no heart and so forth. Mm-hmm. But now it's happened. If you've been to France, you go to the south of France now, it looks a lot like North Africa. And nothing against North Africa. I would I would immigrate if I was in a hard spot. I, if, if Canada, you know, if the U.S., if my GDP per capita was 3000 or $300 a year, I would move my family to Canada and try to make a better life. Totally get that. Yeah. Right? But... The problem is if you don't assimilate and integrate, there's a reason why, it may be natural resources, I, I think we've proven that wrong, but there's a reason why they don't, their GDP per capita is that. Yeah. There's a reason why they're having famine. There's a reason why they have crime. And if, if, we, don't, if we don't integrate, assimilate the culture into the, the, the culture, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pussyfoot around this, but... You know, some cultures are better than others. There is, there's absolute truth. There's, there's things that get people ahead. You know, good work ethic, honesty, the rule of law, constitution in our case. And for whoever would push back against what you're saying, um, you know, they would say, be kind, be tolerant, but then they're not being kind or tolerant to your perspective. Well, and are you really being kind or tolerant to them to let right. them propagate their misery? Or do you have a duty, if my son does something wrong repetitively... Do I not have a duty to say, hey, your life is going to go better if you stop shooting coke, shooting heroin. I guess you don't shoot coke. <laughs> but, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it feels like you aren't, aren't doing, you're doing them a disservice. People who don't, and I'm not claiming to have the high ground here, mm-hmm. but objectively you can look at it. The United States and Western Europe have done really well for a couple hundred years. Yeah. Well, conceptually, conceptually, you need to have groups of people that uh, have long-term shared interests shared, shared values and values or it's not going to work yeah yeah and, and shared language although did you see the someone just uh, real-time AI translation uh, out you know that's been coming there's there's a really good one out it's basically Star Trek level yeah and you just you just have the conversation with you could be speaking a foreign language you and I right now that's right it's kind of see again techno optimist in me thinks that's cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're not we're not D cells. We're uh... <laughs> I might become a D cell. <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling. <laughs> I was I was talking to a priest and I was telling him about my uh, my my balance here between like promulgating that's the right word AI and this idea of D selling and becoming agrarian. Right, I, I I live these two paths in my mind. I don't know if I'm hedging my bets, but uh, yeah. How about you? What's your, uh, what do you see yourself in 40 years? Where? What's yeah, the environment? It's funny because 
most of my life I had what you could call a recency bias. Like I hated old movies. I liked the <laughs> newest, new, whatever, you mm-hmm. know, technology, entertainment, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And thanks to my wife, over the years, I've come to appreciate older things mm-hmm. um, because there's some really great old movies. And before technology, you know, um, I, I as, as I've seen technology propagate in my own life, you know, there's times when I either take a break or when I get tired of tech and find myself wanting to be a little bit more distant because... I think I'm sometimes, oftentimes, more happy. Not immediately. If you take my phone away, I'm, you know, FOMO, whatever. But I'm oftentimes more happy with a little less tech or more, a lot less tech, you know, in my life. And it's when I get out and go do something that um, I really am starting to find more happiness. I would say. I think the key word might be happiness, and it's that's different than just straight up pleasure. You know, I I differentiate that because it's fun to play a video game mm-hmm. it'd be fun to put on apple vision pro and do all kinds of the, whatever the crazy experience is and what it's going to be by version 20 but there's also something to just to just taking a break and being inside my own mind and having some space so my my wife has a funny line he she shared with a friend once um who i think we were a few years ahead on raising our children and the friend was talking about getting her kids video games my wife being somewhat of a ludite was like you know you can't do that that's just going to destroy them and she's like well what i'm going to do is you know limit them to like an hour a day she's like well i'm careful not to say the name um she's like well with that logic how would it be if your husband could have a prostitute once a week for a few hours do you think he'd be thinking about that during the week coming up Right. It's like you can't you can't have that, uh, you know, that super fun thing. So the question to you is, is putting strapping on that Apple Vision Pro and enjoying that simulated world. You think you just grow bored of it? I don't know. I think there's probably enough to keep people entertained almost endlessly, mm-hmm. but I don't know if bored is the right term. I Maybe like, is it unsatisfying on a deep level is maybe the question. Well, uh, my evidence for saying it is comes in, again, the stats that say whatever it is for eight hours a day of social media use, screen time, that's satisfying enough. I mean, giving away that much of your life towards something seems people are willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Either they don't feel dissatisfied or they don't know what real satisfaction feels like. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with um, money and monetization. And your attention is your greatest currency. And where you spend that really does matter. And it could matter to like a company, like a company can capture your attention and monetize it, right? Mm-hmm. That's online world. But also in your relationships, you know, like, are you know, are you having a relationship with the Apple Vision Pro where you're in there all the time and ignoring the, the human that's right over here, mm-hmm. right? It's fun. It's entertaining. And it will, and that, yeah, absolutely. And maybe, maybe at some point you, you know, everyone in the room is watching a movie on a virtual TV the size of, you know, an IMAX together, kind of, but not, you know, that, so the attention, the attention as a, your greatest currency, like that really matters. And um, 
so there's there's a different way to think about it, which is, do I want to be monetized, or do I want to go? And I could I could move to like a a ranch or an acreage somewhere and like monetize my time differently and not be monetized, you know, like like am I just an asset to somebody else or am I an asset to myself? And now we're back to that online offline self, and you can have some say over, you know, what the overlap is or isn't there. Yeah. Um, and that that is a form of power, I think, to be able to to opt out of that if you want to and not cede all of your attention to, you know, other digital things that may or may not be conscious or other people living in those or participating in those experiences, you know. So I'm going to I'm going to push you a little harder here. 30 years from now. Yeah. Do you see yourself as this guy who has uh, a balanced use of technology for X hours per week? Um, I, you know, a person who's embraced technology to a great extent, you know, basically living virtually, or an agrarian unplugged D-cell Amish person? Um. I could see myself having a balance or being the latter, you know, part, part of that is like, I've done the tech thing my whole life. Mm -hmm. Like, I, no matter how good the tech gets, like, you know, I've it's done that. It's satisfying for you. Well, it, the, the ultimate new experience for me at some point, since you're asking me, might be to go be agrarian. That's different. Yeah. I've done the tech thing my whole day, life. Day five. So a funny story about building my, uh, my log cabin is... I did everything, like rented a backhoe. I, I, you know, I chainsaw. It was a forest, chainsawed, backhoed, and every step of the way, you know, plumbing, <laughs> framing, every piece, every piece, was fun for like the first ten hours, but every piece took like two hundred hours. Mm -hmm. So that that change you know you talked about the ultimate new thing would be agrarian well probably after a month of it it would be like okay but i bet it felt really good to feel like you accomplished something yeah yeah i mean there's a, at the there's end of a the house day. sitting there that will outlast me that's kind of cool right um there's definitely definitely in me and i don't know if it's on all people but definitely this thing of creating something physically mm -hmm. although i like creating code it's funny because I can put a year, and I've done this, a year or more into software. And I put a year, it took me a solid year full-time building that house. And the software definitely does not feel enduring. I mean, obviously, it's outdated within a few years. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of interesting. There's definitely more gratification about the physical manifestation of creativity. Yeah. Um, do you feel that at all? Um, I don't know, because I sadly haven't been able to do a lot of that. Like most of my creativity has been in a digital format. I went to school to be a graphic designer and, you know, I've designed websites and now I've created online content and like, that's been the track that I've been on. So, you know, like, again, that would be a new experience mm -hmm. for me to get out and do stuff and get my hands dirty with some dirt, you know, mm -hmm. and, or grease, you know, work under the car. I recommend getting yourself a, uh, a couple tools, a table saw or something and, and do a woodworking project or two. Yeah. Cause you'll use that. And it's interesting cause you use your brain to some degree. There's just some geometry and you know, some rough, some easy, 
uh, math stuff, but uh, you get that creative feeling. You're using your hands. It's not technology driven. I mean, one could argue that electric motor driving that chainsaw is technology driven. Yeah. Um, but well, okay. So I do want to say I, the thought that's been rattling around in my head for a long time. I'm a Christian. I think that people are created, and I think that part of being made in the creator's image is to be creative. Obviously, on on one level, never you, thought about that. You procreate. Never. Thought that's about part that. of being a human. Yeah, um, but, but you more than creating people. Yeah, you can create that's within the universe what you have the potential to actualize, which is not everything because we're actually limited. But I think that that is part of the human experience is a drive, a drive to be creative and a pleasure from creating. Yeah. So do we have any evidence for that statement of do you think people, most people feel that creative drive? Well, I think, um, number one, people procreate, so literally. But, yeah, but that's a different drive, probably. A, but mainly. I think I'm, I'm going I'm <laughs> to bucket it into this conversation. I think on a different level, everyone's creating all the time, whether they're thinking about it or not. Like, you're creating your life. You're creating your body um, by what you eat, by what yeah. you work on. Um, literally, someone might write a book, you know, and do some creativity or write some code. You're a coder. So I think I think we're always creating, and 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 to the extent that you know we yeah. But you know, you talked about recency bias. Be sure to take away, um, I don't know, personal bias on. Like you mentioned, reading a book or writing a book or coding or. I would postulate that the vast majority of people don't bucket in there, but. Like, they're still creating their life. They're in charge of it, and they're authoring it. Yeah, but you mentioned it earlier in our discussion. Not a lot of intentionality there. And I think, I think what we're talking about is like intentional creation. Like sitting back and letting Oprah, nothing against Oprah, yeah, something against Oprah, um, entertain me and eating Cheetos and just, you know, not not trying to take care of my body or not trying to take care of my mind or not creating much of anything. I think there's a large swath of the population that falls into that. Do you agree with that? Yeah, but I don't think it removes you from the framework of being a creative being, having a creative drive. Yeah, and maybe it's there. You're and just, just distracted don't... or you're demoralized or whatever the... Yeah, distracted back to the kingdom of noise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so much... There's so much input that mm -hmm. it's funny, you know, I will, I'll have a thought. Maybe I want to send an email to a friend or, you know, I want to make a note of something and I'll open my phone and wham, I see notifications from teams. I see email, I see text, I see, you know, maybe a news story and my attention gets diverted very quickly and I think, okay, well, I better hit that. And, you know, I better respond to that. I better do something about that. And like literally within a minute or two, I forgot what I was even trying to do. That's how distracted and, and maybe I'm a unique case, but I, you know, it's just, it's cr the amount of stimulation, even though it's mono experiential, it's coming, it's coming down that tube fast. Yeah. Well, that's why I say attention is really the greatest currency, you know, it's, it's greater than money because you can use it's your attention to finite. get money. Yeah. And you, you can't really use money to get attention, you know, to get more attention. 
And I'm not talking about like buy a Lamborghini so people look at you that kind well, of attention. I'm no, talking about. I mean, you you can you can use money to buy improved healthcare outcomes. So I can buy some life expectancy there, and maybe soon I can use money to uh, to live to 150 with technology of some kind. Yes, but still you're going to be capped whether yeah, it's 150. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and yeah. that's hence the meaning. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about creating a little bit more. I want to get your take on, I saw somebody mention they think it's not going to be long um, before somebody using AI is able to create a billion-dollar company as a single person. And I saw that. Yeah, so I want your take on that. It just entrepreneurship in the age of AI. Yeah, that's a big one. Um and then what results from that? Yeah, I mean, ab- absolutely, like, if you look back at giant companies in the 1800s, Marathon Oil, whatever, Standard Oil, um, their, their market cap or revenue per employee was tiny, 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 right? You take a company today, Twitter, or, you know, whatever it's worth after must steal $40 billion with, you know, a few thousand employees. That's, that's insane. Um, so it's shrinking. The, the, the market cap per person is shrinking with AI agents. We're, we're definitely going to, we're definitely going to continue to shrink. Will it hit down to one? Maybe I, I mean, I don't know, maybe, yeah, I could see that. I could see, I could see a personless company. Yeah. Company. That's the ultimate, right? Just shareholders. Okay, so, oh, just shareholders. Okay, so the people aren't totally out of the equation. Well, yeah, I mean, someone's going to own it. So what does it mean to create value in the age of AI? That's essentially what you're doing with the company. Now, humans typically have been the value creators. If AI is in the mix, you know, I guess we're talking about what is valuable. Yeah, and you have to get down to the basic premise of what do we, what's at the top of our pyramid, right? Is it? serotonin dopamine squirts mm-hmm. right is it altruism is it god you people have to choose what it is and then value you know we can talk about objective ai we're trying to create value to people give them a tool to research learn you know do do a whole whole various cadre of things um with the our with our values right and that's different than other people. You know, I'm, I remember, I remember a friend of mine when the fax machine was just starting and I was doing, I started a company and we're doing fax on demand and fax surveys, right? So it's like a miracle. I mean, in days to send, you know, USPS before email across the country, now we could fax it and so we could communicate and get opinions and do things across the country like real time. And uh, someone came to me and it's like, we can make a killing on porn. And it's like, okay, well, if that's the top of your value system, you probably could if you're creating value for that pyramid, mm. you know, so. Yeah, value. What do you mean by value? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So on top of that, I guess just with AI uh, horsepower or labor, let's let's say, um, what what does it mean to solve a problem in 20 or 30 years? What problems are you solving for when so many problems presumably are gone will be 
pre-anticipated by an AI agent of some sort, maybe a company that set up a net of AI agents to purposely go out and, you know, like what problems do you solve as an entrepreneur? Does entrepreneurship go away? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think I've contemplated it long enough. If there's always value. Yeah, the, the, so here, I'm going to interject something here. So AI agents you're talking about. I was thinking about human friction and transactional costs. So let's say I need to talk to my accounting team. I, I anticipate doing that. I can do it through a text, okay? Well, that might, they might take that. They might misinterpret it. So maybe I need to do a call. Now, you know, I'm human. Want to make some small talk. There's this, like, transactional cost to dealing with other people. Right. And some people are higher transactional cost. Yeah. Right? Some people are easy and you can be direct and, you know, and you, you just get along with. You won't offend them. Whatever. Some people have low transactional costs. Some people have high transactional costs. But AI will have really low transactional costs, mm -hmm. right? And in fact, so people... But not zero? Well, you still have to... I mean, it might get... So let, let's take the case where um, I have an agent, right? Or they have an agent and I don't. Some combination. I can get something done without those transactional costs, right? Mm -hmm. Of time or effort or whatever. And that's going to make me more productive. And consequently, other people have to adopt it to stay competitive in the market mm -hmm. of labor or business, whatever sphere they're in. So there's going to be this drive for AI agents. Like we talked about Tesla and the auto manufacturers competing with robots. We're going to have that with agents. I, I, I thought about this week. It's like... There's going to be this really rapid uh, increase in agent usage just to stay competitive. It's mm -hmm. like if you don't use it, uh, are you going to hire someone who's you know half as good, half as productive? Let's say good yeah. is a bad word. Um, probably not, right? Yeah, it depends on your incentives. And I don't think anybody in the current state politically or running companies right now is going to stop and be like, well, is this good for humans? Yeah. It's good for the company or it's good for the government. And so I don't see them not. And there's some. I, artificially I, blocking. Yeah. So there there are some people who do think about, you know, and hopefully we do that to some degree, probably not enough. But there are some people who will think about, you know, taking care of the employees and is this good. And Yeah. But the problem is they will be – you remember the story oof, maybe 10 years ago, 8 years ago, a guy in Seattle – uh, this is back when minimum wage was like six, seven dollars an hour, and he's like, "All my employees are going to get fifty grand a year, so twenty five dollars an hour, right, or hundred grand a year." I can't remember what it was, and it was like hailed as, "Wow, this is incredible." Well, he was he reversed it like twelve months later. Couldn't afford it. Yeah, couldn't be competitive in the market, and that's unfortunately the way it works. Well, so, that was sort of your point, you know, an episode or two ago, you said when one company adopts it, then company B either has to adopt to survive or not. And it's just sort of a cascading effect. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah. Unless maybe you can frame in the system, have a closed 
it's kind of like thermodynamics, a closed system wherein everything happens within that system. Mm -hmm. And everybody does that. So there's no competition to drive that mm. away. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like we have an island, floating island nation, and we do not use robots. Okay. So if we're only buying it, there's no import exports. We're only buying from each other then that you can have manual labor manufacturing yeah. going on. So maybe that's part of this whole. Yeah. What do you make of this option? And it may not be much of an option, but let's say in the future, uh, there's a car company and it uses only automated stuff. There's just shareholders. That's, that's how humans are involved. It's got a CEO. Yeah. That's an agent, an yeah. AI agent, all the labor is AI. And then you have this other company and it's all humans. And their reason is, hey, you can buy something from humans, and that's their selling point. Right. Because no, it's okay. different. Yeah. There'll you be think, some value there. Do you think there's value there? Now, that could be for art. That could be yeah. for anything. Will there be a market for human-created stuff? Yeah. Because it'll be such a novelty in the future. Novelty or just this like uh, idea of um, human, yeah. I want to support another want to support, person. Yeah. It could be. And it could be that there's, you know, um, my wife was talking about Token in Lord of the Rings, and we visited this once, if an alien dropped Lord of the Rings. I think this was the designer literary drugs. Um, her take was, hey, it could never be because Lord of the Rings was a God-inspired story, mm -hmm. right? And so you can't make cheap imitations of that, right? That's a divine inspiration well, thing. Well, hmm. So, you know, if if you it's like the monkeys in a typewriter thing. If you had enough AI agents doing it for long enough, would you arrive at the Lord of the Rings? This really gets back into the design for yeah. humans debate. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a uh yeah, that's there's probably th theological questions behind that one that I don't know. I mean, I do think just the evidence to me shows that yeah, people will will have blockbuster movies you know it's iron man but i'm in it yeah <laughs> right yeah that's coming hey before we're out of here i gotta read you this post from josh delani i don't know if you've ever run into him uh you're gonna like to, to reflect on this i'm curious okay it says the source of man's modern uh the source of modern man's weakness stupidity and general lack of vitality his leisure activities Aldous Huxley predicted the degeneracy of modern amusements in a 103 year old essay pleasures from 1920 so Here's Huxley on why and how to radically rewire the way you spend your free time. And I'm not going to go through this whole thing, but see what you think about this. It says, Aldous Huxley writes that pleasures must not be an escape from effort. In fact, they must be unavailable without effort. Why? Because when preceded by effort, pleasure reinvigorates. But when preceded by nothing, pleasure retards your brain's reward systems. So regression of entertainment. At royal weddings, theological debates were arranged as entertainment. Logicians debated God at Prince Palatine's engagement. So Huxley says, there was a time when people indulged themselves with distractions requiring a certain intellectual effort. And the thread goes on. Yeah, cool. Send that to me. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I thought about that a little while ago. Effort. The fact that, well, two pieces there. The um, intellectual effort toward entertainment. I was probably watching a Jordan Peterson presentation. You know, and he's touring. I think he's... Uh, headed our direction soon. Um, and 
contemplating the fact that, you know, thousands of people go watch this intellectual exercise, mm -hmm. right? Or unveiling or uh, exploration. Um, that's interesting. But again, I think it's probably a small piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. The effort thing is absolutely true. Like you definitely, it's that adversity thing. Overcoming adversity, which I'll call effort, is definitely accentuates gratification, you know, the experience. Yeah. But do you think that that is like, um, sort of like lifting weights, you know, but mentally, like you can build up to the point where you could be on the intellectual level to understand, you know, tough ideas and books oh, sure. and people, but yeah. most people are, have let that atrophy. Yeah. I yeah. think that's true. Huxley, man, he was, he was, he was quite, visionary you know i think he was atheist guy um 1984 right no brave new world brave new world and he came back around he's like in retrospect he came out after long after brave new world was published and he's like he had this like polarized thing it's like ultimate pleasure or ultimate hardship and he came back around, and in being an atheist, it was interesting. You should research this. He came back around and said, in the end, he would have had a third option for that protagonist. I don't remember the guy's name in, the, in Brave New World. But he would have had a third option, which was like church, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> to, put it, to put it, you know, it was mm -hmm. interesting. He mm -hmm. realized there's, there's a third dimension there that wasn't being, he didn't explore. Yeah. Um, but he was, he was an interesting, I mean, I, I he... I think he got brave. I think we are like dead in the middle of Brave New World. In it's his it's mind. a hybrid though, right? It's it's 1984 and Brave New World both. Yeah, I think it's yeah, both. Yeah, absolutely. And that's terrible. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> that's terrible. Is, is the key word <laughs> passive? Because here's the quote: He says, "Countless audiences passively soak in the tepid bath of nonsense. No mental effort is demanded of them. No participation. They need only sit and keep their eyes open." He was talking about movies. Sure. Gosh. passive and that was in the 20s so imagine yeah. imagine him today talking imagine about apple vision us. pro i mean movies what did people see you know maybe i can't imagine they saw one a week yeah one a month i don't know i mean imagine if he could see today what he yeah he would think just I, keep your eyes open and that's the way it is that was the effort right yeah it's it's uh definitely we should all think about it where are we constructing our lives? Because the currency of time is running out. Right. That's a good way to end it, probably. There we go. Cool. Good. Until next time. Yeah, you never clapped. Can you do a verse? Yeah. Synchronization? <laughs> cool. And you didn't do your color thing, nice. but I don't think you... Oh, but I can do that at the end, too. We looked pretty good without it the first time, but... Interesting topics. It's, uh... Yeah.